Hello my friends and welcome to The Natural High, which is a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of happiness in all its glorious forms. This week I'm delighted to have had an opportunity to talk at length with a Natural High favourite, Ben Uzi. Ben is an experienced osteopath and meditation teacher and practitioner with some of the best vibes that I've hitherto experienced on this wonderful and curious life odyssey. It's one thing having opinions about existence and consciousness, but quite another to convey these notions in a way that others can understand. One of the many reasons that I find Ben so interesting is that he's able to communicate complex ideas on the biggest questions in a way that even I can begin to comprehend them. In short, he lights up my brain like a slot machine that's jammed on the jackpot. He's a scholar and a gentleman who's been a part of my life since my intrepid, foolish and largely nocturnal teenage years. We lost contact for many moons, but to see the man that he's become, someone who genuinely contributes to the world and lives in service of others, brings a warm tear to the eye. In this show, we flirt with ideas of consciousness, the meaning of life, how we become more aware, more kind and happier, the ramifications of the digital age and so much more. I heard a brilliant quote recently which stated more succinctly than I'm about to that the mind is a waterfall with all the feelings and thoughts washing down all the time. Meditation is stepping into the cavern behind the waterfall so you can see the thoughts and feelings without drowning in them. If you want to find out more about Ben's teachings, you can reach out to him by going to thenaturalhighclub.com forward slash why are we here. Finally, straight after my conversation with Ben and affected by our musings on technology, I went completely offline for three days. One of our topics of conversation was the inexorable charge of technology, that we may well be blithely and feverishly building ever more elegant and sophisticated machines that will one day destroy and supersede us. We're terrified about sentient robots and concerned about losing control of computers while further enabling them every day. Perhaps they are already steering the ship without our knowledge. However alarmist your feelings about technology, we can all agree that it is utterly pervasive in modern existence. It forces its way into every area of our daily lives. We often feel intense anxiety when we don't have immediate access to the digital world. So partly inspired by the convo with Ben, I went offline for three days as soon as I finished this interview. It must be years since I did this, perhaps unwittingly on some remote holiday, but never on purpose. I'm a new dad, my amazing daughter is just two weeks old and it's taken so much energy and focus and I immediately realised that being offline gave me so much more time and space for this. We waste so much time online. Sure, some of it's useful, but how often do we go online for a specific reason and 30 minutes later we're still surfing and can't even remember why we started, let alone actually completing that task? Instead of streaming, emailing, etc., I read about the fascinating and troubling history of America and began to read the manuscript of my dear old friend Jim Ocean entitled John Lennon's Glasses, which I feel certain will be available to the masses before long because it's beautiful. I felt like I had more space, the world didn't end and my time was spent really purposefully. I didn't need technology as much as I thought, it's like an addiction. 
I did reach for my phone at times, of course, because it's so habitual. But overall, I really valued the time off. Being really present with my family, thinking and reading. I highly recommend having an offline weekend from time to time. Right, let's get down to it. One of my favorite interviews yet. Ladies and gentlemen, I now have the great pleasure of sharing with you the boundlessly brilliant mind of Ben Uzi. <sighs> the natural high. I've just moved into this interim, interim apartment and they've got a phone line internet connection. Oh my God. <laughs> that gives belief. What is this, the dark ages? <laughs> you can hear the modem dial up when you're making such a call like this. Oh, do you remember those days when it would take forever just to load a single page? Oh my God. Mad, isn't it? <laughs> the thing is, like, we become, we become more and more impatient, even though things get, as things get quicker and quicker, we become more impatient. It's so true. It's so true. Quicker. Just, you know, takes a blink of an eye and you're already seething with resentment that it's wasted your time. <laughs> Exactly. Imagine the patience we used to have with those, the old dial-up, you know, when you used to get a line of an image at a time. <laughs> and well, you know, you're still amazed at this concept that we could actually communicate in this way and sort of retrieve this information. We were still fully mind blown at that, at that point. Now we're, not, now we're not impressed. <laughs> Absolutely. It takes more and more to impress. We've become desensitized to technology, maybe. I don't know. But we're just expecting more and more all the time. I remember when in the 90s, um, when you and I were, you know, consorting regularly, uh, <laughs> I, I was into um, football manager. Do you ever remember playing football manager yeah, on the course, computer? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, for me at the time, that was mind-blowing. That was front-end technology. <laughs> well, you... I actually wondered whether there were little people in the computer, you know, sort of doing things on <laughs> yeah. my behalf. How did they work their, their magic? I remember, I remember, I'm so old that I remember getting a, um, a present from my dad. This would have been back in the uh, probably late 70s, maybe early 80s, uh, 1970s, wow. I hate to say it. And um, <laughs> my dad would have been on a business trip to Japan and he brought back this game. Um, that's sort of the, the first uh, handheld sort of game um, wow. probably ever or, or a version of it. And it was literally mechanical. It was like a Space Invaders game, and it and it was sort of it had it was it was like an engine. <laughs> you did sort of have this you do this Space Invaders battle with these things kind of clicking and whirring and moving across the screen. It was absolutely wow incredible. And now what? Forty years later, we've got virtual reality. Um, it's, mm. it's it's astonishing. And we're still not bloody happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does that tell you about technology? Is that it make you happy? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, maybe materialism in general, material things. Uh, the experience yeah. is so much more valuable than the than the item, isn't it? The object. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there, there is there is um, there's a lot to be said for uh, a, a certain level of material possessions. Um, we all need a roof over our head and and so forth but um in terms of beyond a certain point it doesn't seem to add much um in terms of happiness anyway yeah we're we're, to we're totally agreed on that um how the dickens are you <laughs> i'm very well i'm very well 
Um, Tell me what's been going on in your life and how, um, I think the last time we spoke, it was right at the start of lockdown. Tell me how things have progressed with you, how your psyche is, how your general mental health is and, <laughs> and yeah, what, how, it's, how COVID has affected you in your daily life. Okay, well, um, uh, so yeah, we spoke early on in the, well, what was lockdown one for us in, uh, in the UK. Okay. Um, we've was seen, it March? Yeah, March time, I think. Quite, so it, we'd only, we're not long gone into the, the lockdown and I was sort of still quite fresh-faced and uh, uh, full of the joys of spring in some, in some respects. And it's been quite a long haul since then um, for various reasons. Uh, the business, we had to shut the business for, for a couple of months. The clinic was closed because we couldn't get hold of any PPE. Um, we, could have, we could have continued right. to, to be open even through the original lockdown. Um, but we could not get hold of this PPE because it was being direct. Any, there obviously weren't, there was, hadn't been the need previously, there weren't the stockpiles, and whatever was coming in was going straight to the NHS. So um, mm. private businesses like ourselves couldn't get anywhere near it, um, which is absolutely fair enough. Um, so, uh, but eventually we reopened, and, and frankly, um, we've been busier than ever ever since we reopened um, or you know very close to as busy as we ever was um, and for a whole variety of reasons um, mostly that I think lots of people have spent large proportions of the, of the last six seven months stuck at home sat in front of a computer feeling stressed up to the eyeballs and not surprisingly their mental and physical health is suffering so um, uh, you know, we had a lot of people uh, calling us up once we once we did reopen, um, and then so we had we had a pretty glorious summer weather-wise, which definitely helped. We we came out of lockdown. Um, I think it was kind of around about July time, um, and um, everything seemed to be heading back to something resembling normality. The pubs were full. Um, and things like that. And it, it all seemed it all seemed a bit more um, uh, a bit more relaxed. And then um, we've gone back into a second lockdown, uh, I think, uh, in November. Um, and you can sense the fatigue now, the the lockdown fatigue. And and actually, as far as I could tell, <laughs> just walking around where where I live locally. Uh, it didn't seem to make that much difference. Quite a lot of people paying absolutely no attention um, to it. Anyway, uh, the the sort of lockdown order. Uh, most people are still out and about. Plenty of cars on the road. And it was it was it wasn't as the 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 government had mandated quite as strict a lockdown as the first time around. But I think we've all we've all sort of been there, done that. Now we've all done lockdown. So. Yeah. Everyone's prepared for it, um, happier to take certain risks and things like that. So it was, it was still, you know, if you're going if on my way into work, if I was going to the shop, um, it seemed pretty, pretty normal. Otherwise, other than, you know, people are wearing masks and things like that. Um, and um, and the, the only real difference with the second lockdown, I'd say, is that the whole sort of social aspect of life is just what's missing. You know, there's no spaces to go and socialize. We're not allowed to socialize. Um, we're just coming out of it again now. So, um, as of this week, we're going back to tea or whatever it is, um, which means small groups can uh, socialize outside. Um, and then there's talk of a sort of a relaxation of of the restrictions for Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so it's uh, it's an interesting time. An interesting time. Our social skills are going to suffer quite seriously with uh, with this lack of interaction. 
Yeah, I mean, possibly. Um, I think we've, we're, we're all desperate for connection and it's such an important mm. part of being human is connecting with others and, and feeling part of a, a social unit. Um, that we're, can you do that without interacting physically? Can you do that you, virtually? I think you can do it. Well? You can do it up to a point. It's not a. It's not a absolute substitute for physical connection and and close physical proximity. Um, but in a time of in, in you know in extremists like now, it, it's certainly better to have that virtual connection than not. And I'm sure it's had huge. It's helped keep people afloat mentally. Um, uh, during during sort of lockdown and so on, you know, talking about um, the more vulnerable people who not, you know, they they totally they don't even feel they can get out of their house. So, you know, people in um, um, uh, sort of old people's homes, um, they're not allowed visitors. They haven't seen their family, and at that age, more than that, probably apart from when you're very young, you're you you need that connection. That's what that's what keeps you keeps you going oh my god keeps you holding absolutely. on absolutely yeah so, absolutely yeah, really i think my empathy has definitely grown for certain sections of society like you mentioned that the elderly and of course it just must be you must be feels feeling so isolated even more isolated as you know sort of older person now and also teenagers you know like i think back to my teenage years and again when i was kicking about with you a lot and they were so magical those years not not only because you can kick about with your friends but also with people that you're attracted to physically mm. it's such a magical awakening in your life isn't it At the age of 14 15 16 17 when you could go out and meet these people you're <laughs> physically attracted to and yeah. it's a thrilling experience it's a thrilling feeling absolutely and it's a rare feeling yeah excitement so i do and also the university-bound crowd, you know, the fact that they, they might not be able to do a normal sort of university stint. It's all very sad. Yeah, well, we've got two large universities. I'm in Oxford, so we've got the, the, the main one, the famous one, um, uh, the main Oxford University. We've got Oxford Brookes University. Mm. And um, they've been getting a terrible press because, you know, all the students have come over, come come back, and they've just been partying. As, as much as they can within the, the sort of constraints <laughs> as students do. And sometimes mean, without the constraints. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure why anyone was particularly shocked or surprised by this. I think it was always going to happen. Um, and yes, and they've been they've been getting a bad press, but I I, I have nothing but sympathy for them. Actually, uh, it's, it's a it's a time when you are looking to find your place in society and to you know branch out and, and find your identity and meet new people and find a way in the world um and it must be incredibly frustrating uh not to be able to do that um uh, and to not forge those bonds that we we, we so enjoyed forging with with, with friends in, in that time um and there's a there's a huge price being paid for all of this in terms of mental health uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, people at the moment who, because if, if it's just if it's just a matter of you turn up, you either go to work or you go to your studies and you have these lectures and then you you know you go and do your work and then you go home and that's all it is. Um, there's a little bit of social reaction, um, social uh, interaction, but there's not all the extra stuff. There's not the sport. There's not the community. There's not the groups. There's not the you know, activities. It's just the work and home or you know if, if you're a student some halls of residence or something like that um i just think it's in it's we as humans 
we cannot resist the urge to go and meet other people and um and it's so integral in integrous to what you know what we are we, we need to make those connections so i think it's probably expecting too much for young people not to not to reach out in that way um, yeah absolutely uh, but you're hopeful about the vaccine and are, are you going to be one of the first adopters will you take it as soon as you get the opportunity i'm afraid to say i'm not convinced um by the virtues of the, the vaccines that are being rolled out at the moment. Um, and I'm not convinced actually that the vast majority of us need it. Um, I'm, I'm not against the, 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 them bringing the vaccines on, online. And, and I think the vulnerable the people who are vulnerable, um, yeah, it'd be great to get them a safe vaccine um, out there and, um, and use that. But I think for my, from where, I, where I'm coming from, I think most of us, we'd be better off acquiring a natural immunity, um, which is better than a vaccine acquired immunity and protect, protecting the vulnerable during that period. And um, then they can come, I mean, they should be able to, from some point next year anyway, there should be enough natural community immunity existing um, that they would be reasonably well protected anyway. Um, right. So. Is this, an, is this an admission that Boris might have been right? Well, <laughs> I doubt it was Boris's idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> but someone, Very good point. I think, I think this, is a really, um, uh, this is a really emotive subject, and I'm probably sticking my head above a parapet where I probably shouldn't. Um, but I think what we need to recognise is that there, there are, there are, there's more than one scientifically validated approach here it's not just that mm. the vaccine is the only way sure. and that if someone is saying suggesting as i probably would that a, a sort of a, a naturally naturally acquired immunity um would be better uh, in general uh, than a vaccine acquired immunity that doesn't mean i'm some sort of a, um anti-vax science denying lunatic um i've looked quite carefully into this i've got a um i have been trained in physiology and uh, pathophysiology clinical medicine you know i have some understanding in this area i'm guided by science i'm looking at scientific papers that are um that are helping me come up with this you know this position this is my position on, on this subject so um but you know you, you go online and you you know you, you look at the way we're communicating about this and it's it's already descending into that sort of them and us uh you know which can be broadly you can if you look at it, it's broadly the case that um the left is very much the vaccine is the only solution and anyone who stands against it is a sort of vaccine denying lunatic. And then on, if you're sort of right leaning, you're probably more, no, no, you know, we, we need to be healthy. We need to look after ourselves. We need to, um, uh, and do a sort of a, a, a community, um, immunity would be, would be better. So, but the answer is a Venn diagram, right? The middle bit of the Venn diagram, they're both right. Well, I, I, I think, I think so. I think as always, when you've got, these two seemingly diametrically opposed um, opinions is that they're probably somewhere in between is where you need to be or you know they're both right they're both part of the same continuum and it's it's not a matter of either or but both and you know you want to bring we want to get the back a safe vaccine online but actually the best thing would be for as many people as possible to acquire a natural immunity so 
is Boris right? Was was Boris right? Ugh, as I say, I mean, it's. I'm glad I'm not making the decisions, um, but that's my my two cents worth. Sort of thing. I'd have no compunction about giving you the bloody range right now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely no us. compunction. <laughs> God help us. But you know, you've you've um you've just reminded me of the fact that this whole America where we live was just totally overtaken for months by the whole election saga. And mm. you're talking about, you know, the left and the right, and I realize I've realized during this whole process that I am part of the problem because I believe that my virtues, my ideals are right and that you know, but my problem is that I think other people are wrong and so we don't we haven't been moving forward as uh, as mm. a people, you mm. know. In general, mm. it's this ongoing term polarization, isn't it? And it's happening so much these days. It's like mm. I will if I if I don't agree with you, I will shout you down. I'm not prepared to move forward with you, I'm not prepared to be flexible and negotiate mm. I what I believe mm. is right and the rest is just a load of evil nonsense and we can't it's yeah just, it's almost like a regression isn't it in terms of civilization that we have got to that stage at this point it seems yeah I I, I think it's really interesting that it's it's mainly on social media that this is happening or, or mm. online mm. and actually face to face we're we're probably a bit a bit more able at the moment to have these conversations and find some middle ground but certainly on um um certainly on social media where we have a certain distance and an anonymity then we feel you know we're sort of drawn to our tribe we end up in these echo chambers where we just sort of hear our view constantly repeated back to us and validated <laughs> um so and then and then you know something some something comes up that challenges that idea and we don't have the humility or the nuance just to go, okay, let's look at this. Um, and even if we disagree with it, let's look at it respectfully and look at the person who's presenting it respectfully. And it sometimes doesn't help that whichever side you're on, when you present your argument, it's kind of, it's in a way that is some, somehow insinuates that any, you know, the person standing against you is again, some kind of lunatic, some right wing fascist or a, you know, libtard, Antifa, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever language you use. But that's all being fed by this sophisticated technology, isn't it? Because as much compelling information as we get in our algorithm, in, in, in our political ideology, we know that the other side, inverted commas, is getting being fed just as much compelling, seductive content, which, tell, which tells them, <laughs> yes. which sort of reinforces their own beliefs. So it's creating this division. It is, it is. And... Have you seen the film The Social Dilemma? Brilliant. I love it. Which, you know, pretty clearly, clearly, uh, you know, nails that what you've just said on the head, that this is all um, uh, not deliberate in terms of sort of Machiavellian, but um, this is this was a deliberate policy from the, the or, no, it's a side effect of the deliberate policy from the various big tech companies because of their using advertising as their source of revenue and then you know in order to attract the the advertisers you have to sell them basically us our data um and our attention and uh, what gets our attention and so you know you sort of you sort of drive it with this sort of these these outrage you know the, the clickbait the outrage and it drives us into these camps and and meanwhile out in reality um we probably we still got more in common then we would disagree on and if we could just find a way to communicate um in a more civil and respectful manner we'd we'd figure that out um i've been historically left-wing my entire life 
and I've, I've, I'm feeling I'm feeling driven to the right by the behaviour I'm seeing from my own um, natural political side. Maybe um, you're being driven towards the right, but towards the centre as well. And maybe that's what happens to all of us as we become more reasonable as we get older. Yeah, it, I mean, it could be it could be that that, that uh, and and actually we sort of t- there is a general shift towards the the right as we get older. Um, because we, we we naturally become more resistant to change, and um, become more conservative of, of what we what we've created in our life, um, and that's that's quite that's quite a good sort of um, uh, rhythm to have throughout society because it stops the sort of progressive um, movement from sort of flying off into into sort of dangerous territory. But then it can equally that sort of conservative element can become ossified and you know refuse to change. And I think. To a certain degree, that's what's happening. The sort of boomer generation are digging their heels in, saying, "No, everything's you know, the way we've run the world for the last forty odd years is exactly how it should continue to do so." And so, it's kind of forcing the progressive element to sort of become more and more radical, more and more um, outrageous, and less compassionate. Would you suggest? Yes, very much so. The shadow, the shadow of both sides, of the right and the left, is totalitarian. But it, particularly on the left, there's this, the, the shadow involves this, this incredibly, um, incredible intolerance of diverging from group, group think. Okay, so if what I, if, if if I diverge in any way from what the, the the group thinks is is the truth, then you know God help you, really. And that you can definitely see a rise in that sort of behaviour. Um, especially, as I say, on social media. Um, but I think people are waking up to that, and I'm, I'm hoping that um, as the social media and big tech sort of world develops, it's still very young, um, and it might need some sort of um, regulation or something like that in order to do it. But you see that with a lot of industries. They start, it's like the Wild West, it's crazy, there's lots of money to be made, it's all very exciting and brilliant. And then because there's no sort of, there are no reins in place, there are no safe, there's no safety mechanisms in place, it just sort of runs, runs amok and starts to cause problems. And then eventually um, the institutions step in and, and create a sort of a bit more of a, a sensible playing field. Um, and I, I hope that's what's, what's happening. And I think there are signs that is what's happening, but they'll obviously, uh, the big players who are making huge amounts of money will fight it tooth and nail. Yeah, I love I love you've always got a hopeful perspective and such clarity, which is just <laughs> always so lovely to hear. Love talking to you. Um, oh, uh, so I, I'm interested in the whole technology thing. I've probably spoken to you about it before, but I think it's pertinent and relevant. Do you think, as I said, you've got a hopeful attitude towards technology sort of ultimately veering um, in, in an integrous way and becoming mm-hmm. like, you know, sort of more ethical, sort of more of a, a positive guiding light in future. But I'm, I am concerned about that, and it just seems to me that we sort of we're blindly developing technology so vigorously. It's mm. so seductive. It's so alluring, mm. even though it's sending us down some really dodgy paths um, <laughs> yeah, with social media, as you've mentioned. You know that polarization mm. on social media, saying things to people that you'd never say to their face. You know, that's just yeah. a one from one tiny practical example. You know, of modern technology, and uh, you know, it's it's almost like an inexorable. Uh, inevitable slide towards technology i read this wonderful book and i mentioned it i cite it all the time homer deus yuval noah harari i'm sure oh, you've yes. heard of him yes yeah yeah uh, 
And he basically, he's, he's very scientific in his approach, and he's suggesting very stridently that, you know, within 100, 200 years, we will be superseded by Homo deus, which is the next species after Homo sapiens, which is a sort of, you know, um, it's it's a computer, basically. It's a computer-human um, hybrid. And that we, and, and it feels to me like that's utterly inevitable because the way we gravitate towards technology the way we use technology and we become more immersed in technology more and more it's only a matter of time i mean look at pacemakers in the heart for example it's only a matter of time before we become more and more at one don't you think with with technology and do you think that do you think that's a good thing like the neural link for example elon musk's neural link i don't know if you've heard about this I'm i, I have yet yeah. Yes. Yeah. Heard of it. So, so you know, when you think about that practically in future, it's a wonderful idea. It's so fantastical and incredible. But if I mean, you, you when you think about the haves and the haves not have nots, people that are, um, have access to the neural link will be so far ahead of people that, who don't. If it works mm. as it's supposed to, that mm. it just seems like it will become something which is just a must-have item, like a mobile phone. Do, yes. Discuss. Yeah. Well. Um, so my, my general stance on the sort of um, the singularity, as they call it, which is this, this moment in probably the reasonably near future where um, sort of we are with that superseding happens and we become these kind of machine human hybrids. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't see why that that couldn't happen. I don't find it particularly attractive personally um and uh it's it's an interesting one um because basically i think there is there's i think there's a point coming and and it's not just technology but lots of things are sort of converging on this point and right up until that point arises we won't know whether it's going to succeed or fail so it could be world ending or world beginning and like i say it will only be at the last minute that we either make this make the shift or we don't my 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 natural optimism uh is um that we will make it but um i'm reminded of uh what one of your previous um uh late lady on your podcast the um the, the zen or the buddhist priest mm. Oh, I'm so pleased you heard that. Brilliant. Um, it's a brilliant bit. She was talking a bit about the the trap of optimism uh, and 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 just learning to be present and accepting with you know how how things unfold. Um, but anyway, that's a slight side point. But yeah, so it, we won't know until we get there. Um, and I think right up until that point, it, it will, it, it can, if you look at it from a certain perspective, it will look like a dystopia and it will look like it's all going to fall apart and be terrible. Um, I've always said that our technology will only ever be as good as, as, as the, the consciousness behind it. So the consciousness that creates it, why it creates it, how it uses it. So we can, we can already do amazing and incredible things. Um, but, you know, you can turn the splitting of the atom into, you know, limitless energy or... Um, a bomb that destroys a city so there's always that 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 duality um the two sides of, of that coin and and it's i think i think it will be it will be a close run thing um i've, I've got no great desire to hook myself up to a, a, a machine uh, or you know start sticking metal bits in my body um, or bits of computer 
Um, <laughs> Everybody I speak to says that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but everybody I speak to says that. But then it seems like a really dramatic revolution right now. But if it becomes more like an evolution, like mobile phones, for example, I mean, I'm sure there would have been a time 30, 40 years ago where people would have said, I don't want to be available to people all of the time. I don't want a mobile phone. And still lots of us sort of think that these days. But yet technology, you know, it's just so... Yeah, it marches on. It seems so central to our lives now. It's like, mm. you know, our, our lives without technology would be like stand-up comedy without the word fuck. <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> well, well that, that's how it seems. You know, it, it, yeah. it creates this sense of necessity, which is not, it's not actually necessary. But over time, you just get more and more used to the idea. Advertising plays its part. You know, it just gets into your psyche. And maybe the neural link will just feel like a mobile phone. It may be that most of us get left behind. And personally, I'm okay with that, as long as there's still a, a functioning sort of civilization. Um, if, if, uh, if the elite want to up, upload themselves to some kind of a machine <laughs> mind and float off it to Mars, well, good luck to them. Um, we'll be in the garden drinking cider and watching cricket. <laughs> That's where you'll find us. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So um, I'm glad you used the word consciousness because I started at 4.30 a.m. today. I'm a bit unprepared for this, but I know I'll be. it's going to be fascinating, even if I can't offer too much um, to the conversation because um, my synapses aren't firing as they might normally be. Even at my best, I might not be able to offer the most. But I, I, always, remember, I always remember huddling around a TV with flatmates in some student digs like many years ago, and we were watching some early... Um, iteration of reality TV where some grand master of acting, grand master of acting or dancing or something, he was deciding uh, which students um, would make the cut. And he looked at one of them and he said, I like him. He's a klutz, but he's a willing klutz. So, so today I'm the willing klutz today, you know. I, <laughs> I, I'm enthusiastic. You're going to have my enthusiasm if nothing else. And, and, and I continue on the quest for inner peace uh, for me and my audience. Uh, so who better mm. to speak to than your wonderful self? Um, oh, well, very kind. I, I wanted to start by asking, it's a rather random question, but it's become quite important to me as I become more set. I'm on this journey of, you know, self-awareness and, and I'm not necessarily able to execute any of these, you know, revelations or awakenings that I have. But it's something that I've realised about my life, which is about levels of awkwardness. Have I mentioned this to you before? I, uh, I'm not sure you have actually. So uh, yeah, go on. I feel awkward a lot of the time. I don't want to feel awkward, and it's sometimes it's you know very mild feelings of awkwardness. But I always look at the most zen people, the most harmonious and peaceful looking people in my life, and I think that they. I wonder whether they feel awkward in social scenarios, or whether they found a way to be completely at comfort with themselves. So I was going to put that question to you. Do you ever in daily life feel awkward or have you found a way of being at peace with yourself and with others so you, yeah, so you don't feel that, that sense um, of discomfort? Less and less as the years roll by. I'm not sure if that's a, a product of my spiritual practice or whether I'm just becoming um, more of a Victor Meldrew, grumpy old man. Um, <laughs> um, but um, I do still feel awkwardness. I can feel embarrassed or foolish um, um, and, and all those sorts of things. But um, I would say in general, I feel um, comfortable in most most situations. Um, um, and I think that awkwardness 
I'm not, it's difficult to say where it stems from on an individual basis, but in general, it comes from that not knowing, not knowing who you really are. Um, and when, when you do find that grounding, you, you know, a lot of this stuff that causes that causes these awkward um, feelings just kind of just fades away. It just falls off, falls by the wayside and less and less bothers you. Um, and you, you can, you spend more time just being who you want to be and doing what you want to do. And as a consequence, obviously your life becomes more rewarding and joyful and life affirming. Um, but again, you know, these are, those feelings are important social cues as well. I mean, they, they've evolved for a reason and we, we shouldn't sort of um, try to sort of get rid of them entirely. I mean, they can tell us when we're being a bit out of order or, you know, have done something wrong. So it's, it's okay to have these feelings, but if, if it's something that you, you struggle with on a, on a, on a regular basis and in situations perhaps where you feel you shouldn't feel awkward, then yeah, I mean, it, I might suggest it, it, it sort of stems from this, not quite connecting with, with who you are in terms of, you know, beneath the, beneath your egoic mind, beneath your perception of being Ollie, there's something below that that connects you with everything else in the universe. And if, if you can even just get a taste of that, it can really, it just grounds you into, into the world and, and, and just ceases to, uh, and stops you sort of worrying about a lot of this stuff. Wow. Um, how, how do you go about finding that? I know it's a big question. <laughs> it's a question I've been asking recently. I spoke to example, for example, last week to a guy called Victor Rakovic. He's an entrepreneur. Mm. He was on the last show and he's a fascinating guy. He's done loads of work on the idea of self and consciousness. Mm. And he wants to talk to me because he'd had this recent awakening, this revelation. I, d I really don't want to misquote him. And I'm still sort of grappling with a lot of what he um, talked about because it's such weighty issues mm. almost sort of fairly inaccessible even with the with the language that we were using even the language we were using was problematic because what he was sort of saying was that he believes the self the ego the identity it's all a mask it's all fake it's not who you really are mm. it's a lie it's a social construct which blinds you to the truth and to true awakening and bliss it's something which is forced upon you um, from a young age social convention and that um, until you can step aside from that, then you can't feel true bliss. Mm. Um, I'd agree with him up to a point. Um, I think a lot of who we are is conditioned and created by where, how we grow up, where we grow up and, and the life we lead. Um, but I think there, 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 isn't, there is an individualistic element that we shouldn't want to completely escape from. Um, that, that is the message that is, well, that's, that's how, in a lot of the sort of ancient wisdom traditions, they talk about sort of uh, transcending the egoic mind. And, but I think, you know, that can get taken to, to an extreme where, you know, we sort of deny our individuality and it's that, but it's only actually through our individuality that we get to operate in this material world and where we can actually be conscious and, um, aware that there is such a thing as consciousness or a world and that we can learn and grow so we need this vehicle of the ego of the ego 
but we just don't need to be enthralled to it. We don't need to be um, unconscious of its of its of it, the way it operates. And becoming conscious of it is is one of those ways in which you can kind of step back from it and and see the behind it and and and, and touch that that universal connecting element. Um, and you know we talk we talk about consciousness and you know the greatest minds in of humanity have been arguing and debating over what exactly consciousness is since the beginning um i think it's unlikely we'll get to the bottom of it in the next hour or whatever but you know it's not that we shouldn't talk about these things but that there is an is something essentially mysterious at the at the very heart of existence and at the very heart of that mystery is consciousness why is there a consciousness how is there consciousness how am i conscious how are you con why am i consciousness why am i conscious these these questions are probably unanswerable well at least they're unanswerable from an intellectual standpoint as soon as you try and describe something that is as ineffable as the universe or what from from where the you, you know what the universe springs from um, as soon as you, you use language to describe that, you immediately lose some aspects of it. And it, it's, it's inevitably incomplete. So this is why we, you know, we turn to artists and we're so moved by music and, um, and, and our great art, um, because they, they can kind of speak to that ineffable quality in a way that our intellectual minds can never quite grasp hold of or, or, or adequately articulate um and how are they communicating uh, through sound waves through the actual meaning of the it's words through, it's through it's through a felt it's through a felt knowing presence that you you can only experience if you have consciousness so if you've got consciousness you can you can have a, a an embodied felt sense of the wonder of the universe as you know your this chap you mentioned he had this great awakening where he he probably felt his, his his connection to to all everything else in the universe and it's it's mind-blowing and and but i i can guarantee you any attempt on his part to sort of adequately um describe that using language is is doomed to failure it will it will somehow fall flat and he you know so if we can't describe it then how but can we find it yeah is there a way of so you, you you experience it that's the only way to really know it you know it in a deep um, embodied way it's, it's something you can feel and experience so um you know all these people who have um out-of-body experiences mystical experiences psychedelic trips and they go you know wow man i get it i get it i get it and you come back down to this level and you, and you try and describe <laughs> what happened and it's just like what the fuck are you talking about man? you know <laughs> <laughs> You've just described every experience I've ever had on my magic mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. So psychedelics, basically, they break down. Um, uh, so, the, you know, the, so the, 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 big, the big debate when it comes to consciousness. So historically, um, or in, you know, recently, it's all sort of been felt that consciousness was a, what's called an epiphenomenon of the brain. It's created by the brain. And that when the brain dies, that's it consciousness goes with it and it's just, we've just got this sort of one little moment in the sun and then 
that's it. And there's no other consciousness anywhere in the universe. That's the kind of materialist, reductionist, scientific um, view of consciousness. But what we've seen probably in the last 10 or, I mean, I say this has been argued about for centuries, but, um, and it's sort of the whole consciousness thing fell out of fashion a little bit in academic and philosophical circles for, for a while, but it's roaring back now. And largely on the back of the sort of discoveries of, of the, you know, the quantum quantum world back at the sort of beginning of the, of the uh, 20th century. Um, and what we're seeing is this kind of coming together, this confluence of science and spirituality in that they're using different language, but they're, they're kind of saying the same thing, which is that when you get down to it, that there is no separation. And we've talked about this before in our last chat, you know, the, the, the fact that we built a world based on the idea that we're all these separate little, little sort of bits that are, have no connection to each other. But what cutting edge science and ancient wisdom tells us is that we are all one connected whole, but we, we material, we manifest as these seemingly discrete individual units that can experience the whole through these little nodes of perception that, that we all are. I mean, if you want to get really technical, the only thing any of us can be sure of is that we are conscious. I don't know that I, I could just be talking to some random experience in my mind rather than an actual human being sat in a room thousands of miles away. But I'm, I'm assuming that you're having the same experience I'm having, which is a, a conscious awareness and an experience of a physical reality. Um, but yeah, so just to, to, to go back to it, um, this, this confluence of science and spirituality showing great coherence in the message, I think is the way forward. I think it will, it will usher us into hopefully a new era of understanding where we won't have this antagonistic approach between the sort of the world of science and the world of spirituality. And we can really start to make some amazing progress when we um, explore open-mindedly using the technologies and the, um, the methods of modern science, but explore these spiritual experiences. I think um, that would be really quite amazing and will open up that connection or the, help more and more and more people to connect to that 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 um that oneness um and and have that awakening experience wow um but about 40 different questions came up during what you just said uh i can only remember the last few but so do you think that you know a good practical example of gaining that shared consciousness then if it does exist is psychedelics and that's why they're so alluring to so many and why is there such a taboo surrounding psychedelics when they do seem to be so mind expanding and opening new neural pathways mm, mm. Um, are we scared of them too. is the establishment scared of that sort of shared consciousness i think that's i think that's part of it um so the the first round of uh, psychedelic experimentation sort of back in the 50s and 60s showed a huge promise for the treatment of mental health and clearly showed that, um, the, that the brain was capable of some amazing experiences um, and started to suggest as well that there's, there's more to existence than just this material reality that we, we operate in. Um, and yes, I think probably because it sort of challenge the status quo and the and the the narrative of the powers that be 
that it was pretty much shut down. Um, it's again, that's another another area where there's being a renaissance and we're seeing um, slowly a sort of a relinquishing of the restriction on um, psychedelic um, research and more and more people are getting involved, more and more fascinating studies coming out showing how psychedelics work, how they benefit us. What I will say um, is that they're not to be trifled with and they're not to be taken lightly and they are not for shits and giggles. They, these are transformative psycho technologies basically and we should use them as a society as a society very wisely i would suggest that probably most people only need to ever take psychedelics a handful of times in their life um, some people who are that way inclined and who are well trained could use it to explore the, the psychedelic realm bring back information to us here um, but most of us could simply use it in the way we always used to use it, which is ritualistically, usually as a means of a rite of passage. So passage into adulthood, um, maybe to help with trucks, you know, a particular moment of, of trouble in your life and probably again at end of life to ease, ease the passing or to help one understand your place in the universe and come to terms with death. So, you know, those are, those are important um, things to to contend with. So having this technology and not using it seems crazy to me. But at the same time, I think we have to be aware that there are, it, it, you know, it, it depends very much on the individual and what state they're in, what type of trip that they have, whatever it is they're taking. And uh, we have to be very careful that people just don't aren't out there popping acid or, or mushrooms left right and center without any thought to how what the, how how is the best way to interact with these with these uh, various um, drugs and naturally occurring uh, plants and, and so forth that, that help us um, achieve these states so not not to be trifled with but ultimately would be a net game for humanity you're not my real dad <laughs> I'll take whatever bloody drugs I want. <laughs> but um, no, I agree with you. And perhaps because of that lack of re regulation and research, you just, you know, you never know. But it, it is such a dangerous thing to do at this point in time, isn't it? Because people don't know what sort of, you know, potency they're taking, how much they're taking, whatever. So it's the same with it's, all. It's the Wild all, West. You know, all, all of, of illegal psychedelics drugs. Right now. Yeah. I mean, all illegal drugs are. Um, perfectly readily available to anyone with a mind to get hold of them. The war on drugs does absolutely nothing to stop the um, the drugs trade and stop people from taking drugs. Um, hence the widespread use of all sorts of drugs throughout <laughs> all societies. Um, so, um, but what it does do is create a situation where people are forced to go to some dodgy chap on the on the on the corner of you know or in a back alley somewhere risking all sorts of uh, threats and and god knows buying god knows what so um yeah you're right i mean i think it does i don't think it helps in any way to demonize and ban these substances and in fact it's driving the uh, the, the the legal high um uh, industry as well which is just seems to be running out of control and causing all kinds of problems so true. Uh, when I think about shared consciousness, I think about animals. Okay, so my my practical experience of shared consciousness without um, any sort of um, any elixirs is when I think about animals. I because 
the, the treatment of animals in the modern world, it genuinely inhibits my happiness. So I can be just having a normal day and then I start thinking about it and it makes me feel unhappy. And I wonder if that's shared consciousness mm. in some way. If that's, if that's the consciousness of animals' pain reaching out to me. Yeah, well, you recognise that they're, they're just like you and that on some level you, you are connected to these, these animals and, and their pain is your pain. So that, that is a, an example of you connecting to this, this shared experience that we all have. Um, and, the, you know, for you, there, there might be a reason why you specifically identify with, with animals more than, say, I don't know, whatever it may be, uh, injustice or, or, or whatever. I mean, some people are acutely aware of injustice in society or whatever it is. And, um, but for you, for some reason, animals and your connection with you know resonates particularly um but yeah i think that it, that is, is exactly an example of it mm. um what do you think happens then after we die do you feel that anything carries on as any con any consciousness continues any energy continues because i've always had this impulse this instinct that there is something it might just be egotistical but i always feel that it's not the end when the body dies <laughs> but then recently i had this revelation i just thought about it's so obvious but general anesthetic for example when you have general anesthetic you don't you are not conscious of the period from when you take general anesthetic to when you wake up and i wonder if that sort of would suggest that maybe once the body does die uh that the mind the consciousness it dissolves too what do you think so um my i don't know i've not died <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what happens but my general my general inclination based on on again looking at a wide range of um influ influences whether it's you know wisdom traditions scientific research um my own intellectual sort of ruminations is that yes consciousness does continue um obviously the the collection of cells that is ben or ollie will cease to be and we will the, the consciousness will cease to have that experience but that doesn't necessarily mean that experience all experience will end um there is um, quite a lot of accumulating evidence through near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, where people are um, have uh, life-changing events, and that they, in many cases, are technically dead. They, you know, they're on the life support machine. The, the, the family are gathered around. They're talking about turning it off, and. Um, you know there is miraculous comebacks and recoveries and, and people come back from um from having been technically dead for periods and more and more people are reporting um feelings of being outside their body looking down onto these onto onto themselves lying in the bed or they go off and they see a white light and they go and have uh you know meet their ancestors or you know, whatever it is or Christ-like figures, or whatever their religion might be. So it might be Christ, it might be Krishna, it might be the Buddha, it might be, you know, Muhammad or uh, whatever. Um, uh, and then coming back, and they, they've usually got some incredible knowledge of what was happening in and around the, the event whilst they were technically dead, or, or at least unconscious. Um, and there's more and more. And this is again where I mean, well, you know, if we we really need to start investigating this further because it could really start to unlock 
what what happens after we die um but but i think the, we have a problem with death in our society we 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 become estranged from death and yet death is is a is a is a natural part of life life implies death and death and life can only spring from death so it's only in that constant renewal that new life comes through so death is necessary um and it's not something i think we should be afraid of i'm not particularly looking forward to dying and i'm not in a rush but i am curious and um i i would expect that it's more of a a, a transitional phase and that once we die consciousness continues in some form and we may even maintain our identity for a certain period of time and that this this again speaks to consciousness so if consciousness is the the the, the bedrock of existence and it sort of manifests temporarily in all these sort of material forms what happens when you die is you return to the source and you return back to consciousness you know the bedrock the primal consciousness and then manifest again um, and so this this sort of speaks to the idea of reincarnation that we were sort of constantly having these new new experiences as different people different different lives and and sort of keep keep going um, I would say probably as part of a, a process of um, improvement for want of a better word or evolution um, um uh, as as i'll you know to improve the quality of consciousness of the whole via all the individual activities of uh, the various sort of distinct conscious entities what is the function of consciousness in your mind what what are experiences for you know why are we here is there a point to it all or is it just random science are we just sentient mold growing on the planet before it all rots <laughs> probably all of the above um uh <laughs> I would, I, I would say that, that it, again, this is just my opinion, um, but I think there is purpose to life, and at the heart of it is consciousness. That the we 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 manifest as the in these forms, so that the the primal consciousness can experience itself at the sort of base level. Level, it, it's sort of it's almost more beingness rather than consciousness. And as we... I, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. I've heard this term in the last week, um, consciousness experiencing itself. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Make me understand it yeah. a little bit better. So, so if, there's, if there's like a, a, um, a base level of consciousness that has a kind of awareness, a sense of being, but doesn't have a self-awareness, so it, it can't conceive of itself. So what it does is there's this process whereby it manifests in consciousness with these kind of forms that have a concept of self or, you know, a, some sort of distinct identity that gives it a reference point at which it can look around and see all the other little nodes of perception and perceive itself. So we are the universe perceiving itself subjectively. And so a lot of the, these are just going back to the singularity guys and the sort of the techno guys. What they're talking about is this sort of a concept that consciousness will just gradually spread out through the universe until the whole universe itself is, is, is full of life and consciousness and will become a sort of conscious super being. And, you know, consciousness will evolve through different levels of complexity. 
And if you look at, you know, we start off with this, you know, the single cell, then multicellular, then it's sort of through time into simple creatures and then we sort of emerge out of the ocean and then we get the dinosaurs and then it's us. And now, you know, here we are at the moment at the forefront of evolution, our brains, the most complex um, and um, advanced uh, organs in the, in the universe capable of incredible perception and experience. So we are this emerging awareness. We are part of it. And together we sort of form this collective um, awareness and um, by which the universe is is coming coming aware of its own existence wow is there <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing but is there like a trajectory is there an arc to this or will it just keep expanding well again i think if you look at the universe as being fractal as in you um, in in the smallest part of it you will see kind of the blueprint the biggest part of it um, sort of eloquently expressed in the sort of Gnostic proverb, as above, so below. Okay, so in the way that an atom has a has a resemblance to a solar system, you can kind of see the central ball around which things are, you know, spinning around. They're yes. obviously different, but, you know, there's a pattern. There's a, a pattern of similarity running 100%, through it. 100%, I feel this. And um, With everything. Yes, absolutely. And so everything has this pattern in it. All of these things have a beginning and end and a you know a middle and an end. So I suspect everything in time will come to pass and ultimately end. The universe will end at some point so far in the future that it's, it's it might as well be infinite from our perspective, but it will end. And, and that this what? process <laughs> <laughs> well then and then it will then it will repeat itself life from from death will come light so right. from the end will spring forth new life a new universe um a new reality a new a new way for this this consciousness to experience and is is constantly evolving towards complexity and novelty so more and more complex forms capable of more and more um, uh, complicated and new ways of being and experiencing. And I just think this pattern will keep repeating. What drives it, where it comes from, where it's going, I haven't a clue. <laughs> Beyond a sort of uh, a gut feeling that it's towards a general, as I said, evolution and, and, and um, enrichment of the, of the sort of the base layer consciousness. So, so, okay, again, just absolutely mind-bogglingly beautiful and so clearly <laughs> described. It's just amazing how you can break down such complex subjects, matters, and I won't say make them easy to understand, but easier. Um, oh, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> what, so, okay, so speaking about it in the micro then, what is the point for you and me? Are we just, is it just random science or is it, have we just... Should we just be grateful that we've been given the box seats to this evolving universe and we should do everything we can to appreciate and experience it? Yeah, I think the, 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 the second part, totally, totally. Um, we're here to take part in the great symphony that is, <laughs> that is life, right? You know, and we get to, to, to play our little, our little notes or whatever it is. I'm the triangle. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be on the track of areas. Just whack it, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and I think we're here to help each other as well. I think we're here to to have this experience together and to enrich each other's lives, to learn from each other. But I think probably 
on some level we're here as well to experience all the all the all the horrible stuff as well because that teaches us so much it's oh when God, we go through so hard times when we have difficulties um, and unpleasant things that we we actually well there is the there is great potential for growth we don't always sort of grow as people in these situations sometimes unfortunately we um we don't rise to the challenge um but i think my feeling is is that at the end of life there is a sort of there is a reflection there is a reflection back on your life and what you what you've learned and almost sort of like a report almost where you know you could have done this could have done that better but you look this is what you did do do you want to try again sort of thing um and if so you know what would you what would you like to do what would be the best way for you to learn and grow and if you do it long enough i mean you must have all the experiences under the sun eventually um everything everything good bad and indifferent uh and once you've experienced all these things you you would have your your that base consciousness would have learned from that and will grown and continue to improve and um this is one of the reasons why i just i don't see the need for this sort of techno joining where you know i would download our consciousness onto onto a machine i think it kind of happens anyway i think we we bounce back and forth from from the source and we 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 are eternal um just not in, in this in this form there's no need for it you know but it's so no need for so much of the stuff that we do these days we don't seem to you know pick the good bits from the past and preserve those it's all about that word progress isn't it yeah yeah i think like i said i think it will, it will get to this point the um the omega point sometimes it's called the singularity um the omega point is sort of a spiritual concept of it singularity is the scientific concept of it but they're both talking about the same thing is this is the sort of crunch moment where humanity either levels up or or crashes and burns um and I think if we do level up, then we will use our, our technology more wisely and um, we'll perhaps not all download our consciousness to a computer, even if that is possible. <laughs> Maybe the whole point of why we're here is to find out why we're here. Maybe yeah. there'll be this eureka moment in humanity mm. where we'll just be like, wow, we get it now. And we'll all be living in this pure state of bliss. And maybe that is very much, you know, entangled, enmeshed with uh, the idea of consciousness. Yes. Well, if you look throughout history, we, we've sort of had these people who, who have come into humanity and have had these experiences and they've trying to brought, brought this message of we are one, we are connected, um, we are the universe. Trying to, they, you know, they might not have used those exact words, but they're, they're, they're talking about this, this, this oneness, this unity. Um, and what's happening over time is it, it would have been like a tiny percentage of people of, of, of humanity that has that has had that experience and has been able to express it in any way but i think what's happening is there's sort of a, a growing number of people um who are having these experiences because all the means of having these experiences are becoming more and more widely available you can go online and and just access all the wisdom of the ancients going back to the beginning you can access meditation yoga um if you want to you can get hold go to an ayahuasca retreat in wherever or whatever it is you need to do and use hallucinogenics uh, to access these these experiences and more and more of us are doing it and are having a connection um that we then bring back into this uh, material world and i think the more of us that hit that hit that point um 
the better it'll be for, for, for humanity as a whole. It's incredible, isn't it? With You know, this information age, I just want to pause with that for a second because there have been so many changes, so much evolution in terms of technology and ex the accessibility of information over the last 30, 40 years. It is mind boggling. And when you consider where we were yes, 30, yeah. 40 years ago in terms of learning, in terms of academia, in terms of finding stuff out, it's all at our fingertips now. Do you think our physiologies have not caught up with that speed of technology? I think we're struggling to keep up, and this is my. This is where the sort of the, the technologists sort of say, "Well, this is why. This is how we'll level up. We'll merge with the computers, and that will help us to keep keep pace, keep pace with them, sort of thing." Um, but um, I mean, I think I, I'm not anti-technology. I've just said that you know the the the, the explosion of knowledge is a, is a wonderful thing, um, and I, I think social media could be an absolutely and can be a really wonderful thing. It really connects us and and there are lots of lovely things that happen on social media so it's not all um disastrous but it, it all comes down to the quality of the consciousness that is using it so if you're if you're angry or afraid then you will your experience on social media will reflect that um or your use of technology will reflect that you'll be drawn to anger and fear as opposed to sort of uh, more benign uh, ways of being um so the, you know the consciousness is where it all springs from consciousness is the base so if you if you work on the quality of your consciousness you will you will be drawn to better things you know ways of being that are more in touch with your values and that are more rewarding than if you are existing in a sort of lower level of consciousness a state of fear or, or anxiety and um it's it's a you know there's there's a lot of both at the moment i think lots of people are in that in that fear state and um but i think more and more people are moving into a, um, a more balanced way of being so as long as as long as it keeps heading in that direction wow i think we'll just about make it we're heading in the right direction <laughs> okay i want to talk about consciousness and selflessness have you seen i get a bit obsessive about certain pieces of culture and art and when i see them and media and at the moment it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood have you seen the film a beautiful day in the neighborhood I have not. This is um, with, um, uh, what's his face? Um, Tom Hanks is the main character, Matthew Reese. Uh, it's a wonderful film. I think it's my favourite film ever. It is such a beautiful film. Um, it's, it's it basically, you know, we're all looking for answers in our pursuits of happiness, you know, in peace and contentment. And I, and I think I'm, from, I, I've got closer to my truth from watching this film again. I rarely watch films twice. I watched this film for the second time the other night and I cried mm. so freely and it was a blissful crying. Um, it's, oh. it's really helped me to sort of clarify, you know, what I really believe is an irrefutable truth. The main character, Mr. Rogers, has, has moments of anger and negativity, of course, like we all do, but he's, he's found bliss through selflessness. And he's realised that mm -hmm. living in service to others is the key to his happiness. And, I, you know, I believe that is the key to happiness, personally. Um, it's, it, it's the key to self-esteem, the key to a clear conscience, the key to a, the key to a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. all of those things. It doesn't, it seems, selflessness can seem like a hard sell, I think, to, to modern civilization a lot of the time. But when you drill down into it, it sort of becomes irrefutable. And he's quite Socratic in his methods in the film, the way that he reasons, right. the way that he reasons with people and makes them realize that selflessness is essentially irrefutable logic, you know, overcoming 
something uh, resentment and anger um mm. there's this amazing scene have a look on youtube at the the cafe scene i suppose you're going to need some context i just think you should watch the film it's absolutely amazing but he's well i'm gonna go and watch it don't worry about I, it i'm gonna go and watch I, the film you just saw I, I know you're <laughs> i know you're a film aficionado we've enjoyed so many films together and i know that you'd absolutely love this film indeed Indeed. But um, it's something that you touched upon earlier. Oh, Just, wait. There's one well, example. Nice Please do it. Uh, put it at the top of the bucket list. But um, in this in this cafe scene, for example, he's he's mentoring a guy uh, who's filled with darkness. He's got a he's got a terrible relationship with his father, um, who deserted him when his mum was dying of cancer, and he's so angry about it, and he carries this with him everywhere, and it affects all of his relationships and his perception of the world. But Mister Rogers basically just says to him, um, "You see yourself as a broken person, but I see a man of conviction, a person who knows the difference between right and wrong." He said, "You would not be that person if you hadn't had those experiences with your." Your father all of that bad stuff shaped you and shaped the good mm. stuff in you as well and for me it was so irrefutable and so beautiful mm. um it's like we can all be more compassionate more kind less angry less resentful about certain relationships but thinking it and being able to do it to execute they're in they're just separate matters entirely and this film had me in floods of tears because it's got that sort of irrefutable logic of how to be like that and why to be like that and I just, I cried so much watching it. And it's this, the, the state of bliss that you're talking about, which we've talked about when you dig beneath the ego and the state of bliss, the ineffable state of bliss of listening to music, for example, great music. It's that feeling of excitement and thrill and exhilaration within you that makes you want to cry. That's what, that's bliss, isn't it? I think so. And I mean, that sounds, that sounds absolutely amazing. Um, and what 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 leaps out? No, I've really built it up now. You're probably gonna it's probably gonna really disappoint you. <laughs> I'll be like, what is this rubbish? Not at all. Um, but it's it's about as he said, it's just about shifting perspective. The same experience seen from a different from a different perspective, and sometimes it just requires time or, or someone else to come in and just point it out to you. But you can just suddenly see uh, what was a horrible event in a whole different light usually after the event not slap bang in the middle of it um and um where we place our focus where where so consciousness where where you place it will will sort of that is your reality so if you if you are focused on negativity and anger and frustration then your life is angry and frustrated if you can find a way to switch it and and focus on um more positive states of being then your life will be more positive and he's absolutely right as well that the, the pathway to that is not by chasing um, sort of selfish desires. It's by it's in service to others. Um, I can I can say that in all honesty that uh, the most some of the most meaningful experiences of my life have been when I've been in service to to other people, whether it be my children, um, my wife, people I work. Um, I, treat or sort of various events where I volunteered or whatever the, the feeling you get when um, when you're taking part is it, it feels right it feels so right it just feels natural and it feels exactly where you should be and when you're you know being self selfish um, uh, on some level that never feels quite right to me anyway um, and it something doesn't doesn't quite fit 
um, as opposed to when when you're in those uh, those more giving states. Yeah, definitely. I was I was I was thinking about this the other day, and it's like we sadly you know our society is is very cut off from sort of sense of spirituality, and um, in the in the sort of ancient Gnostic traditions, there was the idea of um, the inner mysteries and the outer mysteries, and so the inner mysteries would be like a literal interpretation of the the myths and the and the proverbs of the of the religion or whatever whatever it was and it would be all about you okay and then once you got to a certain point you'd be taken in by one of the 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 wise men or, or whatever wise women or whatever it was and then say okay now now you've now you've now you've looked at the outer mysteries now it's time to realize the inner mysteries which is it's not about you it's about everybody else and it's all about being in service to the universe to everybody else involved in the universe and there's no story in our society that reflects that really the closest we've got to it is father christmas right which is that when you're a kid it's all about receiving and then eventually you get to a point in life where your parents sit you down and you may have figured it out already, but maybe not. And they say, I'm afraid to tell you that Father Christmas doesn't exist. And at that point, you know, it's, it means you've reached a stage where it now becomes not just about receiving, but also about giving. And so you make that transition into, into from the, from the um, outer to the inner mysteries. And, you know, all our society has <laughs> as a story it's, it's the story of Father Christmas, which is now all you know more and more about commercialism. So I think we need we need a new story, and and films like um, you just described they can they they to some extent do offset that. But we need a, a new sort of universal story to come into our society that te that shows us a, a way to make that transition from self selfish behaviour to selfless behaviour. Mm. It just needs to be practiced to realize the benefits of it. You know, I've always been a selfish person. I've realized more recently that acts of selflessness, they are selfish in ways because they make you feel so bloody good about yourself. You know? <laughs> what, do, what do we want in our lives? We want more love. We want more self-esteem. All of those things come about by giving. Yes, absolutely. But it, it speaks as well to the, the slight, um, like, you know, there's, there is a contradiction there, isn't there? That, um, if you're acting selflessly for selfish reasons and it, it, it is possible there's lots of people that um do acts of charity or do acts of um of of, of, of um uh selflessness for selfish reasons and you know you've got to you've got to be careful there is a there is a trap there um which you can get sucked into aren't we all doing it for selfish reasons because we want to feel good i don't think entirely i think there's probably an element of it you know, part of being human is that we are perfect and that we, we have this, um, uh, my, my main man, Alan Watts, used to refer to it as the element of irreducible rascality. <laughs> you know, we all, we all have this, this element in us. So, and, and we shouldn't, and we shouldn't squash it or, or try and deny it. Um, and it, you kind of need it. You need it in some way to and, and it, yeah so so maybe the reason deep down that there's a selfish reason for some of these these selfless acts but that that is does not offset the good that you do in t you know because of it so it's yeah it's a funny one but uh, I, th I, I think overall 
um, acting selflessly is the way forward. Feel good. But whether that's selfish or, or selfless, it makes you feel because good. It makes, because it makes you feel good. Because it makes you feel good and it helps others, which then makes you feel good. And it's a sort of, it helps it helps the, the whole as opposed to yes. just helping you. I love the way we always at some stage gravitate towards Alan Watts. I, I've got nothing particularly to say about him except that I fell asleep listening to him. And it was either last night or the night before. But I can't fall asleep listening to him, really, because like I'll hear one line and then I like I have to pause and think about that for 45 minutes. And then I'll hear another of his sentences. <laughs> and it's like there is so much in there. It's the whole universe in like one, you know, seminar. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. I'm a big I'm a big fan of his. And um, uh, as I said before, he well, he was a complex character and he absolutely represented that element of irreducible rascality <laughs> himself. Um, but he, he nonetheless, great wisdom came out of his mouth and was spread widely, um, not always falling on deaf ears. So uh, I think, he, again, he was a net yeah, gain. Absolutely. <laughs> um, does free will exist? <laughs> it's a bit of a dangerous it's a dangerous question really because I, I you know obviously we should take responsibility for our, our actions but there is a school of thought that you know it's all just chemical impulses and we don't really have yeah. control over our decisions or what we do in our lives ultimately again i would say it's one of those one of those situations where it both does and it doesn't so on one level we we don't have self-will self um uh free will but we've always got the choice on how we react inside our own minds um that is something we can choose we can't sometimes control our actions and certainly it feels like you know there's so many um things beyond our control that um things are often taken out of our our control whether it's you know an illusion or not but whatever happens there's always there's a place in 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 the in the mind in the psyche where you you have a choice how you choose to feel about it and i think that's that's where that little element of free will exists that you can you can still choose the in the sanctity of your own mind um how you feel about something and how you react internally to it that would be my take on it it's you know that's that's an incredibly complex one and um i haven't spent an awful lot of time looking into free will on its own but that 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 might give me something to to look into uh, in the in the future before the next chance indeed <laughs> what it, so with the, with the shared consciousness is every living thing part of this shared consciousness are plants conscious uh, yes. Well, I mean, up to a point, um, depending on the complexity of the organism, I think uh, will, will dictate the level of consciousness. So it might be quite a simplified form of consciousness, but there is probably some form of consciousness in it, even down to single cells um, and, and bacteria and, and stuff like this. Uh, I doubt it's a, a particularly, <laughs> I don't think bacteria are writing Shakespeare or anything like that, or having conversations about the price <laughs> of fish, but they there there is there is an awareness and there is there is a sort of um there are choices that have to be made and that requires consciousness i i think um and i think i mean you know even inanimate it's it's not that it has consciousness it is consciousness it's uh, all of this is an experience in consciousness 
there's a soundbite. Yes, and then you know it sort of then becomes about the, the level of complexity that consciousness manifests as then depends on what sort of conscious experience can be had through that mode of mode of perception. Um, but it's all there. I think if if consciousness is the the base rock of reality, then everything is consciousness, and we're all an experience in consciousness. I love it. Um, we've probably covered this question before, but it's something that you touched upon before. And as with any positive practice or positive thought, I think it's good to reaffirm it anyway on a regular basis. Um, you talked about spirituality and our our shunning of spirituality in the modern world. Why do you think that's happened? Has it come about as a as because of the sort of rise of the, the rise of science, for example? I mean, why? I think I think the the great religions became probably always were dogmatic and resistant to change and pretty viciously attacking anything that that challenged the worldview and this caused the sort of the 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 the, the, the renaissance basically which was a reaction to the corruption of, of these sacred ideas into sort of organized religions that became even though they they had at their heart this this beautiful idea and the the, the sacred knowledge, they, they they sort of lost sight of that and became um, as a literalist and dogmatic, and that caused the scientific revolution basically as a as a response to that, and and science has taken us uh, on a great journey, but science itself has then become dogmatic and uh, resistant to. The, the new emerging paradigm um, and in in gradually as well maybe not the main religions but spirituality is becoming more and more open and accessible and it's a bit of an am amorphous mass at the moment there's no real coherence to it but uh, essentially what you're getting is lots of different ways to access this this truth that lies at the, the heart of all spiritual traditions, which is this this concept of us all emerging from from one from oneness uh, into individuality, and that connecting with oneness is the way to live a, a you know a profound, meaningful life um, in touch with that sort of and uh, spiritual. I use the word spiritual for want of a better word. Um, um, I think it's it'll it'll do for now, but um, it has it has connotations. Um, that perhaps I don't necessarily agree with, but anyway, um, yeah. So I think what we Holistic. need, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But what we need is, um, and what I think is gradually happening, is this confluence, this coming together. You know, science split and rejected what organised religion stood for, and is, is you know gradually become less, less and less um, uh, connected to the to the source. And the, the society we live in today was built by the scientific revolution. It's, it's been built on this idea of the, the separated self. And, and so there's, a, there's something missing at the heart of our society. So we need to reclaim that. And the, but that doesn't mean we reject science and we reject the, the advances of science. But the science and spirituality have got to come back together because they represent two different ways of being that are inherent in the human condition you know you've got the left-brained analytical intellectual narrow focused um, way of being and then you've got the right-brained holistic open connected way of being and neither one is better than the other 
we need both we need them to communicate and and connect um and i think if we can do that then then we might hit that that point where we we transfer into the next level and and and, and things start looking up yeah i think it's about inclusiveness in general you know just viewing the world with a sense of inclusiveness mm. if we could all do that a little bit more I think we'd be in far better shape. I mean, every single religious teaching has amazing tenets, amazing ideas, you know, ethics. If you take if you take each religious scripture literally, then you're in trouble because they've been written thousands of years ago. But yes. each of them has amazing, mm. useful, incredibly useful fables, which 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 are timeless. Yeah, they're they're allegorical, and they all they within the story is 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 this is the truth. You don't take the story literally, but you just you decipher it. And traditionally, what would happen is that you know you'd have these mystery schools, and they would have their own story, but it would it would it would have all these elements in it. And the way to um, uh, and then you'd have your disciples, and you'd, you'd teach them the story and help them awaken. Um, but it was fraught with peril, of course, because you end up with a sort of all the gurus and the the guys who sort of who, when they connect to that oneness they 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 get some sort of delusions of grandeur and see themselves as god or whatever it is and so there's always there's always that risk um with these kind of uh, spiritual schools and there's a lot of that going on today so you know be wary of uh, um you know religious uh, or spiritual groups because there's always that tendency towards cultism um so we do have to be have to be careful with that Which is why um, buddhism, so, buddhism is so bloody but, good right yeah, I mean, I think Buddhism makes so much sense because it's so inclusive. I think Buddhism is probably, um, I, they, you know, it's not perfect, but it's. As, I think it's as close as as we've got in the past. But I mean, having said that, I mean the original Christians, what they were saying was bang on the money, the same thing that the Buddhists were saying. But what what's happened with Christianity is that at some point. Um, at a sort of a level of literalism came in and then it sort of coalesced around the state. And I suppose this is sort of mainly happening in, in Rome where, you know, the, the, the state co-opted this literalist take on religion and used it for its own ends um, to control the masses and, and, and so forth. And um, the Christianity lost sight of that mystical beginning from whence it came it's still there in in some some christian traditions but by and large it's a it's a literalist religion now that sort of takes it takes it as as gospel that, that jesus existed and that um you know the bible is the word of god and all this sort of stuff so um and they don't see it in that mythological allegorical sense and and therefore they can't extract the wisdom from it anymore um, so that's that's probably why it's just common sense, isn't it? Yeah, but it, just I, don't, I don't think it happened to Buddhism. <laughs> Buddhism hasn't been literalized in that way. I think by and large it's been kept as it's kept that allegorical element to its teachings so that people don't buy into it as sort of the unquestionable um word of God and and and, and anyone who disagrees with it has their head chopped off. Um a lot of top, um, you know, sort of Buddhist teachers will say that Buddhism isn't even a religion, that it's a, it's a practice and that you can be a Christian and a Buddhist. And um, in fact, being a, a Christian, uh, being a Buddhist can 
a practicing Buddhism can make you a better Christian. So, you know, it's, uh, it, that's the kind of inclusiveness you're talking about, um, where what we need is to recognize what we share, whether it's through disparate, you know, two different religions or two different bodies of, of knowledge, scientific and, and, and spiritual, recognizing what we, what we agree on and coming together and, and exploring together as opposed to seeing ourselves as these separate disagreeing um, aspects of, uh, of, of society. Right. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Um, yes, many times over the years. I had delusions of being a great author as a young man, never quite uh, came to the pass. And um, yeah, I've, uh, I, I've, I've often thought about doing it, but somehow never quite got around to it. I was just going to say that I don't think I've ever said this to anybody before, but I think you should. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of messages right now um, about that. Uh, about wow. maybe doing exactly something like that you know whether it's a blog or a book or whatever um so yeah maybe i need to start paying attention <laughs> it's 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 knowledge times um opinion times communication skills and you are so developed with all of them that i think that you have so much to offer i'm certainly one of your disciples i'd bloody well read it <laughs> that's very very um, kind of um, I can't wait. I actually can't wait to go back and just start unpacking everything that you've said over the last couple of hours because I've just found it so uh, fascinating. But I want to ask you one more thing uh, before we do wrap up for this occasion. And of course, anything else that you want to say um, before we wrap up. But uh, what's the what is the wheat and what is the chaff to you? What's the important stuff these days? How do you intend to approach your life over the next couple of years? Well, um, as a you know father of young children, I'm still very much that's where a lot of my focus is and rightly so um and i just adore it and I, i'm so excited for you you've got this wonderful adventure ahead of you i know you're in the thick of it right now but um it's just it is it is great for all for all the troubles and the, and the trials it's it is wonderful um so yeah very much does the love just keep growing like the universe yeah in, in between periods of wanting to <laughs> Is your rag entirely <laughs> but yeah no absolutely it, it deepens and deepens uh, with each day really um and uh, it's just a joy to watch them growing up um and you know my, so my wife and my kids they'll be very much making sure they're all healthy and well and, and looked after is is my primary function right now and probably the best thing i can do for for, for the for the whole anyway um, as Mother Teresa said, you know, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And uh, I think um, I think that's that's very true. So, um, but on top of that, I mean, I've, I've thought about all kinds of things to do, sort of from a more personal project kind of view. And, and I think the message seems to be coming loud and clear from the universe that writing might be might be the way to do it. So, uh, I'll, I'll keep you informed of any developments. We're just such at such a pivotal crossroads in humanity. You've alluded to it as well. You know, mm. we are we're losing connectedness and we're losing compassion and kindness, and there just seem to be areas that you you specialise in. Well, I think well, the other thing I would say is that this year has been a great teacher for all of us. If we're paying attention, what it's telling us is to to live your life with joy and and and, and passion and get yourself well find ways find health okay do those things 
that make you well, the practices, the, the lifestyles, the, the, the activities that bring you joy. That's what we all need to be doing. That which brings joy into our life. And you might not be able to do it straight away or to the level you want to do it, but just make a start, make a change, change your perspective, flip the, you know, flip the switch and, um, or, you know, and, and just start doing the things that you love and being with the people you love because that's what matters that's what always matters you know the number one regret of people who when they die is that will be over a, a, a failed relationship or a, the fact that they didn't communicate or say sorry or say they love someone no one cares about their material possessions or you know their achievements in the end what matters are your relationships with with the significant people in your life because that's how you connect with the, the whole anyway this is how we're all connected is through our relationships um so that's what you need to take care of and look after and there are lots of ways to do that but primarily it's it's about you said it you know that that sense of bliss that following following your heart and, and letting it lead you where you need to go The natural high. Follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone.